these stories that we read about that have been preserved and handed down to us in the scriptures did not happen in a galaxy far away, but they are the intersection of God's largesse and activity at the addresses of people who are very much like us, people who woke up with bad breath in the morning, people who wondered when promises were slow in being realized where God might be, people who had to deal with their own envy and their own self-absorption and the words and ways of others around them. So each year during this service, as we rehearse this first advent of our Lord and His nativity, We try to have a little story that I've composed, taking the perspective, an imaginary perspective, from someone in this gospel story, and today we will use, as was used several years ago, hopefully aging better than when it first arrived, the story of Elizabeth, largely taken from this particular verse. The Lord has done this for me. Elizabeth was Zechariah's wife, old, on Medicaid, reproductive health, dashed. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So with that verse in mind, in the story of Elizabeth, we will imagine together, will you pray with me? Lord, will you let these words rouse good things within us, rekindle flagging hope, animate desire that seems to be sputtering and choking just now, make our eyes bright, blink them wide awake, in Jesus' name, amen. So this is Elizabeth with a man's voice, sorry. Why me? I've wondered it, I've screamed it, I've whimpered it. One of the pagan philosophers has said that memory is the scribe of the soul. And two days are engraved in my embattled soul more indelibly than all the rest. Days where why me was scrawled like a sign to study forever. On the one, I howled in dismay like a jackal and launched the red clay pitcher we used for washing up each morning, washing up each morning into the front wall of our mud brick home. I hurled it like young David's stone, the one that pelted that braying behemoth Philistine in the forehead, and the pitcher smashed into tiny pieces. Zechariah leapt to attention like a sentry as if marauders were attacking. The poor man, I kept him on his toes. He just stood over the fragments in disbelief with that serene stare. Elizabeth? He said my name as a question. I've always been a puzzle to him. His lovely divine mystery, he'd say. And never more than at that moment while he labored to unearth the secret meaning of the broken pitcher shards that had nearly pummeled him as he crouched dutifully and carefully, how else, 
to place the cut logs in a blazing stack to heat the cook pot on our hearth as he had done each morning for our 15 years of marriage. He meditated first on the remnants of the pitcher and then on my fiery cheeks singed with hot tears that held disobedient strands of my graying hair to my face like plaster. He was perfectly studious as if I were a thorny text of Torah. I stood askew, nostrils flared, and rapidly huffing like an offended mountain goat. And he tenderly used his thumbs to push back the wisps of hair from my cheeks, absorbing the tears like a sponge. My Elizabeth, my Elizabeth, I am sorry. So he understood, finally, and comprehending the awful news that my body had just callously revealed to me yet again, as if as it had month after month for all our marital life, he pulled me against him, my torso still stiff as a cedar, and I feeling each beat of my smashed heart in my throbbing temples. I fought at first, then succumbed to his embrace, and a hot spring bubbled, then flowed from my eyes, now buried in his chest. And opening my mouth, no words arrived, only shaking sobs. That morning, I knew God was against me. The prophet of tears, Jeremiah, had smashed a pot too. As a show-and-tell warning to recalcitrant Judah, cease your indifference to God or you'll be junked like this jug. On that morning, the day I hurled the clay pitcher, I believed that the Lord of hosts had hurled my life across the room at the wall. And now, all I'd ever hoped for was in a heap of indiscernible pieces on a dusty floor. I was reared to be a mother of the tribe of Aaron, brother of Moses. Ours was the line of priests, those who stood in the stead of God. The branches of women in our family tree were privileged to bear useful fruit for Yahweh. Ours was the task of multiplying faithful priests for the sovereign Lord, an honor only one never selected and extended to me. I had been deselected from the best trust the women in our family would ever be given. From the time I could think to notice, I admired the breezy way my mother whisked through her daily chores and embodied the very character of Yahweh. She taught us by giving us her eyes, helped us by letting us see as she saw, spying a burnt orange sun, planning to retire for the evening in a sky of regal violet and blood red, She'd boast that Yahweh sends the burning, fiery globe that heats the earth to bed for rest while he stays up all night. We could rest because he wouldn't, and she believed it. Shuffling our dusty way to the market, five little ducklings bunched up beside her. She'd admire a flock of sheep and point to the concerned young man, steadfastly singing his guard over the easily spooked and hooven creatures. Our God is a singing shepherd, she cheerily can't, heartily calming us with his song. She wore motherhood like Joseph proudly wore his rainbow coat from Jacob, and I wanted to as well. She knew what she was for. She was for the little chicks the Lord of hosts had hatched in her life and in her heart as the hen to shelter and nourish our young lives. She drank in the admiration of our papa, 
as she trained us to follow after the desire of nations. And she had her place living and laboring that those of us in her care would adore him who adored us and would live to pass along the ways of our sovereign that had been entrusted to us each. So as my girlish body became less angular and the years indicated my readiness, it was determined that I would be given in the covenant of marriage to a boy, himself budding out of boyhood, Zechariah. And I knew what my life was going to be. And though butterflies flit in my taut stomach, I was eager to be a wife and a mother. When we spoke the vows that God used to adhere our lives permanently together, Zechariah was wiry and pensive, dependable and revered. His face was smooth as a melon, and as yet he had not received the inheritance of all the tribe of Abijah, a girth to match the heftiness of their priestly task. Two children we were, bound with cords of kindness in the watch care of Adonai, to live out our days walking in the ways of the Most High. We settled, in, we settled in rather easily to the rhythms of our daily life and were unified in our fondness for little ones. Each from large families, even early on, we shivered sometimes with the chill of just our tiny two preparing breakfast in silence. As a girl, the story of Ruth always rang hollow. Call me bitter. <sighs> Why such self-pity? I wondered. I went away full, but the Almighty has brought me back empty. (sighs) Such distrust, I surmised. But then the famine of her land visited my womb. The dread desert of her devastating loss of two sons and a husband visited my young life. Only it wasn't the loss of those I cherished, but those I craved to bear. My womb was wasteland. Life fled from me. And so too did Adonai. The Almighty has made my life bitter too. Ruth and her grief became my kinswoman. Papa often said the best compliment we could pay to another was to listen to them. The Almighty has paid me few compliments. So often did I plead for him to remove the bitterness of my lack. And from what I could tell, it mattered little whether my prayers were disguised in the tears that lullabied me to sleep are dressed in a fiery rage, which concluded, since he never seemed to hear a whispery sigh, maybe boisterous screams would reach his ears, but still, he resisted. Why is he against me? What have I done, O oh Lord? Month after month, we discover like a slap in the face that yet again, my body had refused to nurture the fruit of our love, And the hopes of our future and my former slight apprehension began to solidify in conviction. We were indeed forgotten. Shame was to be our lot. Hadn't Solomon taught that children are a heritage of the Lord and a blessing from him? Why, O Lord, are you cursing us? I'd choke out my disappointment in disgruntled heavenward utterances. I could see no other explanation in those days. He must be against us, I was sure. The young assume they see all the angles clearly and reckon their conclusions about the Most High exact as an archer's aim. I was no different. 
And besides the ache of alienation from Adonai, I was daily troubled by those he'd placed around me. When I was with the other women at the river doing wash, their queries made me feel like I was one of the garments being plunged into the water after being scrubbed against a sturdy rock. When will you have a little one? You aren't getting any younger. Aren't you worried it hasn't happened yet? And when my answers didn't assuage their curiosity, the tone turned theological. Have you confessed your sins? Have you prayed for a child? Have you made a sacrifice to the Lord? I felt myself disappearing beneath the load of their meddlesomeness. And on windy days, the current could whisk away a woolen garment from the hand, rinsing it, and downriver it would float, writhing and contorting until finally giving in to the river's wishes. Sometimes I wanted to be like one of those tunics that got ripped away and carried downriver. Anything to hide from their whispers and pitying stares. While I pined for life within me, it was only shame that gestated. My vision grew more dim, scorn and sorrow, the only offspring inside of me. Sometimes I'd scream at Zechariah like Rachel of old to her Jacob, give me a child or I'll die, I'd say. I knew Rachel's scorned envy at the babies bouncing around her the personal assault of the burgeoning bellies throughout town. I wanted someone to pay. Early in our marriage, Zechariah would shoot back with a belittling yell as if he'd just asked Jacob how to respond to an embittered wife. Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? This was not his best response. It never proved helpful, not even once. And we'd scream and defend, and he'd go silent, and I'd end up slumped in the floor, leaned against the wall, my arms hugging my knees against my heaving chest, barely able to breathe, a cavernous emptiness in me, violently sucking everything good from my life. I could not understand, and in those days, I still believed the deadly error of all lively young hearts. I was convinced I had to understand all the whys. Behind all the what's. But no explanations arrived. And neither did a child. When God wanted to change the world, he made Father Abram and Mother Sarai a papa and a mama. He entrusted them with the parentage of the chosen people. By creating them to be parents in their own home first, when the sovereign one made the world, he commanded the happy task of multiplication. Little image bearers of the great shepherd on high to govern the world. From creation to its corruption to the Lord setting out to bring repair, it's always been through the opening of the womb that the Lord of hosts delegates his intentions, but my womb apparently held no intentions in the divine mind, locked as it remained. A suffocating dungeon of desire and little else. It was impossible not to take it personally. Why, O Lord, have you singled me out to be lifeless? Why give me a mother's yearning alongside a desert womb where no life can thrive? Why do you shout each month to a desire, shout no to a desire you planted within me? Why, oh God? What does it cost you to plant the life of a little one in me? It was easy to imagine God laughing at me, not weeping beside me. A cruel joke depriving me of the one thing I thought I was for, the one thing I thought would make me who I was. When you're consumed with what you've not got, everything is part of the cruel joke. 
the children jumping from the rocks on on the terraced Judean hillside, pretending to be rams, would mock me with their mirth. Even kneading bread undid me. When the loaf of dough was ready for the fires of the oven, I'd lament. Yeast and heat would make the dough rise, and I'd plead the Lord, open my womb that a little one might bake and beautifully form in my oven, but it was not to be. Why, O Lord? Why not, O Lord? Zechariah and I had planted and harvested grains and vegetables and flowers too. We'd seen one minuscule seed, totable by a determined ant, could under the care of our Lord yield a stunning array of leafy green coriander or a hefty fig tree growing honey-sweet fruit, each with hundreds of seeds guaranteeing more, and we wanted only one child. Not an array, not thousands, one son or one daughter, one sign that God's intention for me wasn't only indifference and cruelty, but no baby, no blessing, an untouched womb, an indication of God's neglect. That was all I could conclude, and at some point I conceded. I would not give life to another, and part of me died. My allegiance to my Lord did not, I acquiesced. I decided I didn't need to understand, and I would ask no more. But I always counted my barrenness an unsightly scar that I wore as a sign of disgrace. And though childless, I became mother to any child in sight, support to any frazzled mama near, and I watched my friends and kinsmen have little ones who hatched little ducks of their own. Why me became a distant refrain, its self-pity drained from a weathered woman who came to trust what she could not comprehend. But then, my why me returned. Only not in a form I'd ever have fashioned. A new day erased the the anguished whys of my young adulthood. My Zechariah had an encounter with an angel. He was in God's living room at the temple in Jerusalem, serving as high priest when the luminous angel of lore appeared, alarming him more severely than any jug-throwing wife ever had. God has neither forgotten nor despised you. And nary a prayer scattered across the heavens has been ignored. You and your forlorn bride will birth joy. A son who will be attuned to God and who will tune the hearts of all to play the songs their creator meant. I would be a mother after all. My son who'd call me mother, though I could be, by all accounts be mother of his mother, would like the Nazarites of old take no fermented drink. Instead, he would be drunk on God. Tipsy with the presence of God, he'd be charged to sanctioned rages and rants to ready a world, to emancip- ready a world ready to emancipate itself from God for the God who could not give them up. Old Zek, poor man, had shared my shame so much and been forced through so much hard evidence To believe barrenness was the last word for us, said to the herald from heaven, quite simply, prove it. A man for whom words seem so expensive, a man more frugal with his words than a miser with her coin, said, prove it to the angel. So he was struck for ten months with silence. No big change for me there. But I was struck, happily struck, with a blossom in the desert. Oh, why me? Oh, sovereign Lord, whose ways are more mysterious than my moods, whose no 
can change me and whose yes can cause me to soar. Why did it get to be me? And that day, the day that Zechariah was tongue-tied, I became like a palm tree, green and flourishing even in my old age. Deselected all my days from enjoying the privilege I'd wanted all my life, I now at last had been selected to yield a spokesperson for Yahweh, one who'd ready the stage for the healer of all lands, who was to be given to my kinswoman Mary. John would be his name. A son. Our son. The son of two who reckoned we'd been forgotten by God and not just a boy. Any old son would have been a thrill, but our son would be marked. Marked for service by the Most High. His would be a vocation like the prophets of old. Drunk with the Spirit of God. Bursting with words from on high. He'd ready our people for God's entrance to the world. His would be an instructed tongue. Persuasive and preparatory. Pushing and pulling with God's recalcitrant goats to magically turn them into his sheep. Our son, Zech and Beth's lad, would be the opening act for the renovation of the world. Born out of years of deprivation, my son, John, would be a burr in the saddle for many, but would for so many others be the assurance that I had learned as I leaned toward God in my lack that God won't give us up. To all who pine for what isn't, one is coming who turns dark to light, makes joy from fright. One is soon to be whose goodness to so many, even to those who throw pictures at walls and curse what they cannot understand, will be spurred to say, why me? Why was I included? Why did I get prized by the Almighty? Why did the bitterness of my want become the beaming of plenty? One is coming who can take away disgrace. So thoroughly we're left wondering with a silly grin. Why me? That year, my life became the pages of ancient prophecy. Isaiah had told a chosen people like me, who'd been deselected and wore their shame like an extra layer of skin. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Don't fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. Deep compassion has made me sing again. I understand little, but I do empathize with Sarah who laughed in her old age. Old women round me laugh seldom, and understandably so, as most of their treasures lie in graves and memory alone. But for me, Laughter did come in the morning, and my disgrace was healed, all by the hands of him who remained determined not to forget. Amen.